When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning and a happy Friday to you. On the agenda today, the Mount Melick mum whose twins can't get into an autism unit. Her case has been raised in the door. And I want to go back to that broken system that Inclusion Ireland spoke of. And you're familiar with this lady. She's been in contact with your office, Sarah Dooley, because this is the real-life impact of that broken system. Her sons, John and Patrick, have applied to 19 schools, Minister and not received one offer. Both little boys are ASD, they global developmental delay, and they are non-verbal. This is the reality of parents with children with additional educational needs consistently and constantly being met with roadblocks and blockages to their children accessing that constitutional right to education. So, what response did she get in the dole from the Minister? Well, you'll hear more after 10 what the Minister had to say. Also today, Friday panel takes you through all the stories you may have missed over the last week. Electric picnic going greener than ever, or so we're told. And while there's much talk of an election here in Ireland, a general election at some stage in 2024, there will be one in the UK. And we've had an early preview of the outcome. More on that in a few minutes' time. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text WhatsApp. 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. So, let's see what's on the front pages this morning. What are the newspapers talking about? Irish Times sticks with RTE, saying the organisation is under pressure to publish details of other exit deals, not just the €450,000 golden handshake given to its former chief financial officer. Apparently... During D. Forbes' reign as Director General, more than 2.6 million euro in golden handshakes were dished out to executives. And the organisation is now taking legal advice as to whether it can tell you who got those deals and how much each individual deal was worth. Anyway, that's the main story on the Irish Times. Also the main story, by the way, on the... Irish Independent says RTE paid 2.6 million euro in handshakes under Forbes. Irish Daily Star, jail death threat raps. So if you spotted a lot of activity around Portleash Courthouse yesterday, one of those who was being heard was 43-year-old Frederick Thompson, otherwise known as Fat Freddy Thompson. He is accused of assault at Portleash Prison and yesterday appeared in court making no reply to the charges. Although he is giving a hand gesture to a photographer on the front of the Irish Daily Star. Yeah, a lot of activity around the courthouse in Portlaoise yesterday afternoon. UCC abandons plans for dental school. The Irish Examiner leading with a cork story there. Recession, as in ris. Rishi Sunak. That's the story on Britain's Daily Mirror because he has lost not one but two by-elections overnight and officially the UK is now in recession. 
and naturally the opposition is going to call it Rishi's Recession. Now, let's go back here at home. Let's see what's inside the front pages. A 15-year-old girl has tragically died in a car crash in Tipperary, the latest person to lose their lives on Irish roads in 2024. The collision happened near Rear Cross, just outside Nina, quarter to seven yesterday evening. And she was the passenger in a car that had collided with another vehicle. And there were three other occupants of that car, a man and a woman, both in their 20s, and another girl in her mid-teens, as well as the driver of a second car who was taken to hospital in Limerick. Again, as usual, Gorthy are looking for witnesses, they're looking for dash cam footage. If you happen to be in the Nina area, 1800-666-111 is the Garda confidential line. Also, midlands103.com reporting today on a teenager missing from his home in Athai, 14-year-old Callum Kavanagh. And he was last seen on Wednesday, on Valentine's Day. He's five foot six in height, slim, light brown hair and blue eyes. As ever, a picture paints a thousand words and you can see his image on midlands103.com. But his family are concerned for his welfare, as are Gorthy, and they would like any information as soon as possible. Yesterday, we talked about the Consumer Price Index, the way the Central Statistics Office measures inflation. Are prices going up or are they going down? And there are 51,000 different products in the basket. And over the years, they've added avocados and whatever is trendy at the time. So 11 o'clock yesterday morning to a massive fanfare and nobody paying attention, uh, the CSO announced what's going in the basket this time. And it includes air fryers vegan substitutes and milk substitutes. So your your oat milk, for instance, or soya milk. What has come out of the basket? Admission to nightclubs and the cost of a landline phone. They are now out. Um, Non-alcoholic beer is in there for the first time. Ribeye steak and spring onions. Gin is back on the list. It dropped out 20 years ago and now it's back in there. They've taken out MP4 players, digital cameras and photo printing is gone from the list. Anyway, more details in the Irish Times if you want to read about it. The paper also looks at the latest beauty trend, which they reckon is here to stay. So it might be more than just a fad or a temporary trend. And it's scalp care. If you look up the hashtag scalp care on social you'll see a lot of videos of how to nourish your scalp in order to have healthy hair and to deal with the sweat and the pollution and the oil and all of the product build up that allows bacteria to fester on your scalp this is a lovely conversation for what is it now 21 minutes past nine on a friday morning but seemingly Um, There are many, many different creams and they're mentioned in this article and I'm not going to endorse any of them, but if you are concerned about your scalp, Irish Times has a nice review of some of these products today. Over on The Independent, something a little saucier, they interview sexologist Evelyn Stallart. Now, what is a sexologist? Well, 
She says in her college years, in secondary school, she was drawn to helping people and eventually studied psychology. And during one of the trimesters, the subject of sexology came up. And everybody has sex, she says. It's something completely normal, but at the same time, it's something we find it difficult to talk about. So she became interested in what amounts to good sex. And then it led to a career. And she says in 2024, people find it easier to visit a sexologist. And there are three issues which generally draw people in. One is that there's no action at all. And this isn't necessarily a male issue or a female issue. It applies across the board. People are just looking for intimacy, she says. And then you have the problem for some men where they just can't get it up in the way that they used to. And the third problem for women in this case is that it can be quite painful, especially as the years go on, dryness and so on. So that's what she tries to help people achieve. However, she is, wait for it, she is plugging a new book, which I think is why she has appeared in the paper today and she claims the book will help with so many things. Anyway, Irish Independent. Over on the Irish Sun, you see Prince Harry, who in just a couple of hours will appear on Good Morning America. And he is going to talk about, among other things, King Charles's cancer. So it turns out Harry flew halfway across the world to spend 30 minutes with his dad. That was it. Imagine if your parents called and said, we've got cancer. How long would you spend with them? More than half an hour, I would suggest, in a normal family relationship. So no sooner than he was back on Californian soil, he decided, hmm, might be a good time to appear on one of the biggest TV shows in America as we launch a new branded website with the royal titles and the royal crest. And we're also going to talk about some other projects we're involved in. Anyway, he's getting his cheap publicity. Sorry, but just... There's something unnatural about that kind of behaviour and something very exploitative too. But you could argue it's just as much the, the Sussexes themselves who are being exploited by media and others who would profit from their celebrity. Final one for you. Actually, I'll give you two because this one's important. A new study has found that sticking to routines helps children's brain health and improves their sleep. So even if you think it's a bit archaic to have a strict family bedtime or strict family mealtime, science says it improves brain development in younger children. The study by the Colorado State University says consistent family routines, such as doing homework at the same time every day, having a consistent bedtime. Consistency, consistency, consistency seems to be the message. What about everything in moderation, even consistency? Anyway, last story for you. Domino's, the big pizza chain, has launched a new flavour, and I want your opinion on this. Carbonara and lasagna-inspired pizza. So you have cheese sauce on there, ground beef, tomatoes, and red onions. That'll be the lasagna one. And the carbonara version comes with a creamier cheese sauce, smoked bacon, 
mushrooms and mozzarella. Now, the carbonara pizza sounds delectable. But it might not be your cup of tea. After all, I like pineapple on a pizza. And some people say pineapple has no place on a pizza. But what's your favourite uh, flavour? That's a new word today. Flavourite. I think you know what I mean. Massive music festivals drawing lots of people to a central location can be bad for the environment, which is why the organisers of Electric Picnic over the years have tried to introduce, for instance, coffee cups that were reusable and more and more uh, green practices. But this year is perhaps going to be the biggest investment since the festival was first conceived. And the promoter of EP is here next to tell you more. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103 And, yeah, cheese sauce on a pizza and carbonara-flavoured pizza getting a seal of approval from listeners of the Midlands Today show. Can't wait to try it. Um, A few people have asked about Kevin Backhurst. Who is Kevin Backhurst, the new Director General of RTE, and what are his qualifications, and how did he ultimately get the job of trying not just to run the organisation, but to clean it up, put it back on an even keel, restore its reputation? A job that is very different to the one he applied for, because none of this had blown up before Mr Backhurst was recruited. So he is an English journalist. He has worked for RTE in the past. So he was head of news and current affairs for a four-year period between 2012 and 2016. And he worked with the UK media regulator Ofcom as well. But he is a journalist by background and then ultimately joined RTE again as Director General in April of 2023. And he would have been recruited through the Public Appointments Service. So there are a number of interviews and ultimately it is a matter for the RTE board and for the Minister of the Day to decide who should be the Director General. So we don't know how many other applicants there were, how much choice they had, but that's the man's background. Um, And obviously, April 2023 was two months before the Ryan Tuberty payments came to light and the you-know-what hit the fan thereafter. So, to be fair, not of his making, but how he has handled the situation since then, that's obviously on his head. Now, back to Electric Picnic. And again, try to picture all of the lights and the speakers and the sheer power needed for the stage, for that event. Where does it come from? And as I said, the man who gets the bill is the festival organiser, Melvin Benn. Melvin, good morning. Good morning, Will. Good morning. It's a big bill as well. I I dare not even ask (laughs) how much electricity (laughs) is used, but... Uh, just tell us traditionally how festivals get their power. 
Well, I mean, in the main, obviously, festivals take place in greenfield sites where there is very little power, you know, either to the estate or in, and especially to the um, areas of the festival site that the, the, the festival needs its power, really, for the, the main stages and things of that sort, really. So um, it, it, we have to bring in temporary generators, um, uh, you know, very large temporary generators, as well as smaller ones for, you know, different parts of the site and all that sort of stuff. And, you, you know, those large temporary generators obviously use um, a lot of um, uh, fuel. Um, uh, and in the main, we are using biofuel to reduce our carbon footprint on it. Um, but it is still using fuel and it is still, uh, they are still being delivered on you know, huge lorries and trailers, and mm. um, you, you know the, the, the you know the transport cost and the transport cost in in terms of carbon, um, uh, you, you know, impacts on all of that, and 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 so you know I have a you know I have a a commitment to reduce my carbon footprint by fifty percent versus my twenty nineteen levels by twenty uh, by twenty thirty, um, and. Um, I'm doing it in different ways in different places and at the electric picnic um, you know we've been talking to the electricity board and they're really supportive of what we're doing and very you know being very helpful and we've had this on the cards for a little while now um, you know we had a, a hiccup with a you know one of the planning consultants who you know was a little slower than I wanted and I've got a new planning consultant who's um, absolutely got this application nailed and we've got the application uh, going in and um yeah i'm i'm really pleased about it i think it's it sets the right tone for you know for entertainment it sets the right tone for uh, festivals it you know sets the right tone for all sorts of things and you know obviously i think ireland's going in that direction with renewable power and what we'll be able to do is draw from that renewable power that's been generated you know around the country um and effectively have a stage that's you know, run entirely on renewable power. And I think that's a major step forward, actually. No other festival in the, uh, you know, the major festival, at least in the UK and Ireland, um, uh, has managed to do that, actually. And it's fantastic the picnic is leading the way. So we should explain what's in this application. So to move away from, I suppose, originally what would have been diesel generation, more recently biofuel, HVO, whatever it is, you're going to need a grid connection to access the wind, the solar, whatever else is on the grid. And that requires a substation. Flesh out the technicals for us, please. Well, the, I mean, the, 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 the reason we need a substation is because obviously, as I'm sure most people know, is that we um, the, the, the power um, is transported around the country in, in you know, very high voltage. Um, and um, and and it's transported in very high voltage in order to minimise volt drop, um, you know, between one point and another. Um, but then when it drops down to conurbations, when it drops down to hamlets, or when it drops down to uh, factories, um, etc., uh, building sites, etc., it needs to drop down to you know a more a much lower voltage level of you know 240 volts which you know we're all familiar with in terms of our domestic stuff or 415 volts at three phase that we're all familiar with or many people are familiar with that gets used in industrial spaces and things like that and 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 you know we then have to have a substation um that will 
uh, bring the voltage that gets delivered to us into the site from a very high voltage to a uh, low voltage that we're able to use um, on the site. And that's that's why we need to have a substation. Um, it needs to be in keeping with the estate. It needs to be discreet. Uh, it is in keeping with the estate and the, the, the you know, the... Uh, buildings on the estate, etc., and it is discreet, um, and we're um, you know doing everything right by the book. And of course, Thomas Cosby, who owns the estate, is is all over it. Obviously, very enthusiastic about it. Um, um, I'm sure Thomas will find a way to be using it when we're not using it. Um, and um, uh, uh, but uh, that's the reason for the substation work. And substations come in all shapes and sizes. So, what sort of scale are we talking about for EP? Oh, not massive by any means, actually. It probably wouldn't be much bigger than a sort of, um, you know, than a, a, a sort of decent-sized porter cabin or a decent-sized steel store that uh, you might see. Um, so, you know, probably 24 foot by 6 to 9 foot, really, um, and, you know, a height that is just walking height, really. It's not much bigger than that, to be fair, Will. It's not It's not a monster by any means. Sure, but I think it's important to clarify that as there are substations that can cover several acres and obviously they're next to a town and they're for other purposes. So this is a much smaller type of development. Of course, of and course. It's something that obviously requires planning permission and let's make no assumptions and people are entitled to give their feedback on that. But assuming it were to pass the hurdles through Leash County Council, when would you hope to have it in place? Could it be in place by the 2024 event? Indeed. No, that is very much the the intent. I mean, you know, as you say, subject to that caveat of um, planning being um, uh, granted. But, um, you know, we, we have employed an absolutely top planning expert to prepare this uh, for us and to submit it. Um, and I'm very confident that what he hit will put through the uh, council will certainly satisfy all of the um, statutory uh, requirements. And, you know, planning is a subjective um, process, as I think, as I'm sure you know, Will. And, um, you know, people may have some other objection to it and, and, and Leash will have to listen to those and take those into account. Um, but I sincerely hope that they will um, look favourably upon the application because this is a major step forward for music festivals in Ireland, an absolutely massive step forward for music festivals in Ireland and, and the UK as a whole as well. Um, uh, you, you know, what, what, what I learned here, I will implement in uh, many festivals in the UK as well and others will... Uh, will follow because I, you know, I want to be open about this because I want as many festivals um, to go green as is possible because that's the right thing for us all to do. And just to conclude on that point, you mentioned 2019 is your baseline year and you're trying to cut substantially from that. Apart from the source of electricity, what other ideas are in that head of yours? Um, well, I mean, it, it, it is very largely the, the source of electricity, but, you know, I'm also looking at, you know, what, what we can do in terms of generation. Um, I'm also very much looking for looking at um, uh, the, the reuse activity. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm also looking at um, and hoping that the move towards um, electric vehicles of our customers will contribute to that as well, really, because that's that 
you know, that's a major contributor is the um, not so much what we're doing on site, but what the public are doing, um, uh, what, what the public are driving, really. And But you, you can feel that mood changing. I think there's no question that mood's changing. Melvin, Ben, appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much, Will. Take care. Festival organiser Melvin Benn, who will be in EP in August, along with thousands and thousands and thousands of others, and perhaps a substation powering or connecting to the grid, uh, harnessing all of the renewables that we've been putting on across the country over the last couple of years. Now, if you're in Strabelli and you've got views, please, as ever, 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. In the UK... The Labour Party has branded it Rishi's Recession. That slogan seems to have done them well in two by-elections which were in traditional Conservative strongholds. Is the tide going out for the Tories after so many years in government? Or should we not read too much into these results? That's next. Midlands Today with Tullamore Motors Opal. Did you know Opal are one of the last brands supplying diesel cars for 241? Discover the Opal, Grandland, Maka and Astra Diesel as Tullamore Motors Opal, Church Road, Tullamore. Well, it sounds like you're stuck with me for a few minutes. So I'll give you the analysis in the newspapers of that victory for Labour in two constituencies in the UK where they've managed to overturn what were traditional Tory seats. And one of the narratives coming into the election was Rishi's recession, which obviously is a catchy slogan to it. And as one listener points out, Labour in the UK getting such a resounding win is probably best explained by the number of food banks that have opened in the last three years, the number of white-collar workers who are using them as well to substitute their weekly shopping. And that's not just going to be a trend in the UK, but indeed all over the world. In the US, Joe Biden is under pressure because he is seen as not having tempered inflation sufficiently. And look at the inflation we have had here in Ireland as well. So cost of living definitely going to feature in elections in most parts of the planet. And for Rishi Sunak, even though he's managed to rescue the Tories from the horrible year of 2022, he really hasn't been able to handle the big economic issues and that's what has Labour obviously on an upward trajectory in the UK. Anyway, that's according to Reuters and according to the Irish Times this morning, various uh, sources of analysis if you are interested. So, let's move on to what we will be talking about after the news at 10. Closer to home, the shortage of places in autism units for children, particularly in County Leash, although it is a challenge across the wider Midlands. And Circa Clark, the Sinn Féin TD, has taken up the case of Sarah, the Mount Mellick mum who called us on Wednesday, revealing how, in addition to a child with leukaemia, she has two children who are on the autism spectrum. And she has tried 19 schools, count them, 19, to get a place without success, unfortunately. Her case was raised by Deputy Clark in the Dáil yesterday. 
And I want to go back to that broken system that Inclusion Ireland spoke of. And you're familiar with this lady. She's been in contact with your office, Sarah Dooley, because this is the real life impact of that broken system. Her sons, John and Patrick, have applied to 19 schools, Minister, and not received one offer. Both little boys are ASD, they global developmental delay, and they are non-verbal. This is the reality of parents with children with additional educational needs consistently and constantly being met with roadblocks and blockages to their children accessing that constitutional right to education. So the problem is, uh, we have obviously a shortage of places in the Midlands. There's a need to recruit more special education assistance, and that takes time. What does the minister say in response? That's coming up. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Now, still on the agenda today, our Friday panel takes you through all the news of the last seven days that you may have missed. Childhood cancer, not something you ever want knocking on your door, but when it does, there is a fantastic organisation here to help and they are raising money in the Midlands this weekend because, again, like so many causes, they don't receive state support or at least enough state support, so they're asking you to please fill in the blanks for them. Now, when you call 0818 300 103 is the number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. And earlier this week, Sarah in Mount Melick did just that. And she told us about her four children. One dealing with leukaemia and the twins on the autism spectrum and despite calling 19, 19 different schools, she has been unable to secure a place in an autism unit in County Leash and indeed the wider Midlands. So her case was raised in the Doyle yesterday by Sinn Féin TD, Circa Clark. And I want to go back to that broken system that Inclusion Ireland spoke of. And you're familiar with this lady. She's been in contact with your office, Sarah Dooley, because this is the real life impact of that broken system. Her sons, John and Patrick, have applied to 19 schools, Minister, and not received one offer. Both little boys are ASD, they global developmental delay, and they are non-verbal. This is the reality of parents with children with additional educational needs consistently and constantly being met with roadblocks and blockages to their children accessing that constitutional right to education. That's what Deputy Clark told the Doyle. Let's hear from Minister of State at the Department of Education, Josepha Madigan. We uh, have now 3,000 special classes in the country. We have uh, advanced planning and forward planning consistently. Uh, the NCSC, every child that is known to the S NCSC last year received a place and they will do so this September. So I don't accept the fact that there hasn't been a significant amount of work and that there is a significant amount of work going on in relation to special classes in general. However, if you have a particular instance of a case, you can let me know about it uh, and, I, I, and, I, and I'll have, I, well, then we, then we will be engaging on that. Um, I'm not saying that anybody is wrong, uh, Deputy. What I'm saying 
is in relation to the assertion that has been put to me on numerous occasions that there was no engagement or that, that there was insignificant engagement or, or not proper engagement, I would have to refute that. Uh, when I say that there have, been 30, there have been 30 meetings held as part of this development process and 12 of those consultation ses sessions were held with education partners. So what I, I'm answering is in relation to engagement and it's important that that is noted. Um, I also um, want to say that, that, there, that there is a review process that is available there um, that schools can fill in an application form for review on the NCSC website and they can submit through the school portal. Uh, it, it's important that that is done. So that's what the Minister replied in the Dáil uh, in relation to Sarah's case. Sirka Clark, the Sinn Féin TD, is with us. Sirka, good morning. Good morning, Will. How satisfied are you with that answer? Oh, oh, I'm not satisfied at all. The um, I, I truly am. And when I spoke to Sarah, first off, I mean, it wasn't just the 19 schools, Will, that, that um, kind of rang alarm bells for me. It's the fact that Sarah, as a mom, has been at this since last June. It's now near the middle of February. That is an inordinate amount of time for any parent to be trying to source a school place for their children, particularly when the needs of these children are so very well known. The um, John and Patrick, very busy little boys, no doubt, do have a high level of need. And that need is currently being met in the place where they are in Port Arlington. Now, that need, unfortunately, is not going to disappear overnight when those children leave that school on a Friday to start in, in a primary school on the Monday. So the department are well aware of this. The Senos are well aware of this. The minister is well aware of this. And yet, as we stand here again today, these children don't know where it is that they're going to school in September. And it is grossly unfair. And another point, Will, that I want to make here is this. The Acts and Act, that Act that specifically deals with the educational needs of persons with um, SEN, that came into effect in July 2004. That's almost 20 years ago that that came into effect. And we are still having the same conversations today. Well, listening to the conversation is Sarah Dooley, who is the mum who raised this issue on the programme earlier in the week. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you? Good form. I understand you've had contact from the department since appearing on Midlands 103. What have they said? I did. So I had contact yesterday from the Department of Education. Um, I expressed all my concerns and the struggles that we have in trying to find a place for our boys that the impact is having on our family, that the extent that we had to go to get this far and still have, still don't have a place for our boys. Um, so I suppose there's nothing definite has happened yet. Um, he did say he was going to speak to this local Sino and that he will get back to me and that the Sino will get on to me as well also. Mm. Um so look, I suppose it's just fingers crossed now and hopefully that they stick to their word. OK, this person who contacted oh. you from the Department of Education, you don't have to name him, but how senior yeah. was he? How what, sorry? How senior, how uh, influential, like was he a manager or was he just oh, well, a, a, an, an admin now, person? No, to my knowledge, he is, he is very high. He'd be high up, yes. Yeah. See, I don't know if I can mention his name or not now, sorry. But no, he is high up in the Department of Education, yes. Yeah. All right. So, effectively, yeah. he's asking you to wait and be patient and that's as much of a commitment as he can give for now. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
year. Sarka Clark, is there anything further that you can do politically? As you can imagine, this is very stressful um, for oh, not yeah, just Sarah, this, but this for other parents as well. This is an awful situation. Yeah, it is truly. Really, it's an awful situation for any parent to be in. And, and I have given a commitment to Sarah, and I will give it to her again this morning, that I will continue with this. I'm, I'm not drawing a line underneath this. The, yesterday wasn't the only time that the area of special educational needs was raised in the doll and we will be coming back to it and I have no issue with working on Sarah's behalf on this. But when we speak about the Senos and, and what it is that these people do, and they do a really good job, now I'll have to be honest with you. The, but if we're looking at creating a truly inclusive model for education for, for all kids who have special educational needs, we do need to seriously look at that Seno model. The, so if you look at where, where Sarah is based, she actually comes under what's called the Southwest Team 2 that covers Leash, Offaly, Tipperary and East Cork. There are seven people employed as Senos in that area. That's all, Seno. If you were to look at my own constituency, which is the North Team 1, that's Longford, Westmead, Sligo, Leitrim and Donegal. And there are five people employed in that area. Wow. And it's an unusual even, even at that combination of counties. I should clarify as well, we're talking to you because you are Sinn Féin's education spokesperson. And obviously, um, Brian Stanley would be the local Sinn Féin TD for Sarah in Leash Offaly. But... Um, this isn't just a leash awfully problem. It's highlighted a, a similar case in Clondalkin in Dublin. It appears to be a national issue, perhaps more concentrated in some parts of the country than others. What's your sense of the the geographical shortages? Where are they worst? I, I have spoke this week alone to parents in North Dublin, North County Dublin, Kildare, Leash. Longford, Westmead, Sligo and Limerick. And that's this week. Now, at the stroke of a pen, you can't just, I suppose, recruit and have people in place. It takes time to, well, first of all, find the resource, uh, the budget, then recruit and interview and people give notice in previous jobs and so on. How quickly could this be solved in a realistic time frame. Okay, so we know that there is there is a significant number of, of moving parts here and we know that the Department of Education is having difficulty and schools are having difficulty in recruiting teachers. The um and the the the, the target of even recruiting SNAs hasn't been met for the last number of years. But there are certainly issues that can be done here. Now, yesterday at the debate that I raised, Sarah's issue under, that was actually to do with another part of special education. It was actually to do with the allocation of special education teaching hours um, among the school um, the school community, those, those 4,000 schools that are there. The So as part of that, what needs to happen is that like even when we are recruiting, say, um, those for the, 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 the psychological, the educational psychologists, they need to be treated on a par with clinical psychologists when it comes to funding. That doesn't happen at the moment. That needs to happen because we need these people in our school. Sorry, the, is that and when for we, their when terms looking, and conditions? In other words, are they paid Yeah, but less? a lot of it actually comes back to funding of their training. 
there's a bit of a discrepancy there between the funding of their training. Now, nobody has an issue with the Department of Education carrying out a review of any description as long as it's done timely and the outcome is very clear. So that does also need to happen. But there needs to be, and Josepha Madigan spoke to some degree about this, about the forward planning. But the forward planning is all well and good, but we need to see delivery on the ground. As I said, Sarah's young lads have had the level of need that they have since they were born, that that hasn't changed, it's not going to change. So the department is well aware of this. They also, we need to see our scene of directly in being where we need more of them, but we need to see them directly speaking with the parents before it gets to the case where these children need to find primary school places. That conversation should be happening at least a year beforehand so that parents are aware, schools are aware of whatever additional accommodations they need to put in place and that there's a better planning system around that. I mean, really, Will, what we're talking about here is moving towards an inclusive education model and that needs resources, it needs a change in, in attitude and it needs the support of those skilled teachers and that long-term transition plan. Sarah, I know we don't have the problem solved for you yet, but are you a bit more optimistic than you were when you called on Wednesday? I am, definitely, yes. I am. Yeah, definitely. And as soon as, like, as soon as I get any updates or if, you know, if I get an update or anything at all, I will come straight back to you and let you know. Well, um, I hope you have a positive we'll update have... soon. You a hell of a lot on your plate and you manage it so well. Yeah. Sarah, thank you yeah. very much. And Circa Clark, appreciate your intervention as well. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank and you, thanks, Erica. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up on 20 past 10 on Midlands 103. Still on the agenda today, a mum who had to repatriate her son's remains from the other side of the world, and she still remembers and will never forget the Gorthy calling to her house to break the terrible news. And how helpful was the insurance company, the travel insurance company, when the worst happened? Hmm. Also, Friday panel takes you through some of the unusual stories of the week and some of the trivial stuff too, because we have to have a bit of fun. For instance, the carbonara pizza, which would you be tempted? Or is there a flavour of pizza that hasn't been invented yet and should be? Hmm. Lots to talk about between now and 12. Midlands Today with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103. Friday morning, 23 minutes past 10. Hope the form is good with you. If there's an event on in your area this weekend, let me know. Looking for plans, looking for something to do. Got the kids now and the kids are just so hard to get off of Fortnite or Roblox. And if you've never heard of Roblox, by the way, it's only been out a couple of years. And there's a guy who didn't even invent the game, but he creates scenarios for the game. He's 22 years of age from Dublin and he has just joined the ranks of Ireland's millionaires. Dara Bohan is his name and his company's called DB Games Technologies. And he and his mother, because they're the directors of the company, they paid themselves just under 2.3 million euro in wages and pension contributions in 2022 just for designing Roblox scenarios. Roblox, it's an online game where anybody can create 
individual games for the tens of millions of users who avail of it. Wow. Do you feel sometimes you got into the wrong line of work? Mm. Ah, well. Who would want to be a millionaire anyway? Still to discuss today. The Friday panel looks at some of the strange items in the CSO's shopping basket as to how they measure inflation. Also, the worst roads in the Midlands. Oh, yes, we did get a reply from Offaly County Council concerning road. Yes, I know it's always a tricky one, isn't it? The roads around road, the village of road. Now you're with me. So I'll tell you what they said about Vinnie Grennan's complaint in just a few minutes' time. Also, the mum who had the knock on the door that no parent ever wants to discover her son had died on the other side of the world. And the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust was absolutely amazing. Far more amazing than the travel insurance company that he had gone out with, but... More on that in just a few minutes' time. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Leash Community Climate Action Fund is open for applications until the 11th of March and they're holding an upcoming webinar so community groups can develop climate action projects that fall within the fund. The webinar takes place Tuesday next between 7 and 8.30pm. Climate action experts Dr Karen Moore of Leash County Council and Aoife Munn, community activator, lecturer and environmentalist, will all be on the call. So to register, email kmoore at leashcoco.ie. Fonzie Mealy Auctioneers in Kilkenny proudly present the Making Room Sale. Affordable antiques and furniture in the Avalon House Hotel, Castlecomer, 12pm next Wednesday. And you can view on Monday and Tuesday next at Castlecomer Business Park, Kilkenny Road. Online catalogue also available at fonzimealy.ie. Coralstown Kinnicad GAA invite you to their next monster drive through bingo. Sunday the 3rd of March, 3 o'clock in Kinnicad GAA Grounds. The prize pot is €7,000 and the jackpot is €2,000, which has to go that day. And the LOL's Wedding Band present the LOL's Wedding Fair and Showcase, Sunday, March 3rd, Tullamore Court Hotel, with a large variety of suppliers on the day. Doors open at 1 o'clock and the band will be on stage from 3 now, if there's something happening in your area that I should have mentioned, call 0818 300 103 and check any of the notices again at midlands103.com. Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie. The name you trust. With the news you need. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. It's the call that no parent ever wants to receive. That you are going to get the knock on the door when your child is on the other side of the world and you are told they are no longer with us, that something awful has happened. And it's a phone call that Julie Martin will never, ever forget. 
when her son, Sean, died in New Zealand last year. Julie, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks, Will. He had moved to the North Island of New Zealand and he had been there for uh, some time. And I think he took the scenic route on the way over. He was in Sydney for a period. So what, what attracted him down under to begin with? Oh, Sean, from a small child, has always that was always to travel. Like he, when he was four years of age, he was digging a hole in our garden, heading to Australia. All the neighbours digging this hole behind a tree. It was always right. something he always wanted to do. And then, uh, what the was next his profession? Then he wanted. Sorry, what was his profession? He was a farm labourer, stroke farm mechanic. Um. And obviously in New Zealand and in Australia, they have seriously big farm operations. Seriously big farm, yeah. yeah. He had been there previously in 2019 and had been like, had done the cities in Australia and then had come home and then this time went back to, to, farm, to farm in New Zealand for a couple of months do the silage season and then head on to Australia was the plan. So he obviously enjoyed it if he went back. Oh my God, he loved it. Like the first time he went, it was like he thought he was going for a year and then he, you know, he'd be home and he said when he got there, from the minute he landed, he said he just absolutely loved it. He just wanted to be there, but it, but herself didn't want to be there. She wanted to come on home. So they stayed, stayed for the six months and came, came on home then. And but he was always itching to go back. Secretly, were you happy that he was coming back and going out and coming sure. back? Yeah. It was it was a surprise coming back. Sure, I thought I didn't think he would ever come home once he went there. I like I knew Sean knew what he was like, but uh, yeah. So I got a big huge surprise when he came home the first time. So, when he went out, and eventually, unfortunately, you got that news that no parent wants to get. What was the build up to that? What was the context? Do you mean the guards? Mm, well, well, well just, what were the circumstances? So Sean had been out working, um, working in the field and had got bogged down in the field. It was quite wet in New Zealand last, last winter. Um, so he had got bogged down and, and the guys that, the, you know, his colleague on the, the team, they had, they had come out to pull him out, but were having difficulty with that as well. So they had got a digger and then they had been trying to lift it lift lift the machine out. So mm. Sean was, was had his hand on it, steady in the machine. Two of them actually the, the another team member had their hand on the team had a, their hand on the, on it as well. And he had just let go. But Sean Sean he had let go to move to another to the other side. And just as he let go, Sean got electrocuted. Wow. And did he pass away instantly, Julie? Pretty much instantly, yeah. Kind of collapsed and kind of stood again. And oh, like he spoke, he spoke, mm. gave out by the power lines, and then he was gone. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You can imagine a young Irish dad what you said about power lines. I, I and yeah, did, and then yeah. he was gone. Yeah, yeah. So, the Gorthy called to the house and and gave you the news and. Obviously, that's an amazing shock for any parent, but especially given the distance, what was going through your yeah. head? Well, sure. Initially, you know, when you when you hear something like that, your your first fear is 
that they were unhappy and they had done it to themselves. And that was my first question was, did, did he do it himself? And I thought, oh God, no, it was an accident. And mm. oh, you would hate them to be that far away and be unhappy. And that was the first thought in my head. I knew he wasn't unhappy, but, you know, but he wasn't. It was an, it was a different type of an accident, you know, so... Yeah, it's so just, a, a it's small just, solace, but still a horrible uh, pain. He was still, you would hate to think they were that far away. I'm happy. That was my thing initially when I asked that question, you know, and then relief that he wasn't unhappy, but then still he's not here. He's, mm. he's not going to be here anymore, you know. So, yeah. And he was so young. This was only three days before his 25th birthday. And you've got that sense of injustice and how life can be cruel and all of the, yeah. all of your own dreams for him as well. Uh, oh, sure, my own dreams for myself as well. Mm. You know, you, you have your whole life plan, don't you? You're thinking about them getting married and having children and that's all gone. Everything is gone. Their future and your future and, you know, life changes completely in a second. And yet, you still have to think clearly because there are logistical challenges. So yes, yes. You, you have to get his body back and yes. funeral to plan and all all of that doesn't wait. It it needs yes, to be done yes. quickly. So who was there for you? So when my family were here for my family and Tom, Sean's dad was here and Ella, Sean's sister was here. And then my own family were brilliant and Tom's family and our community. And then Sean's friends were with him out in New Zealand. And like, I mean, they were amazing. Like three young people, like the four of them had gone out together and mm. like this to happen to them as well out there. And they had like, we were trying then to get hold of documents. Like initially the thing is how are we going to get him home? And I knew he had travel insurance and I was like getting had to get in contact with Shane then to like let's get into Sean's phone and he goes, We can't get into the phone. He's like, We don't know what the number is and I said, I know what the number is so I'm like I said, Try this number hmm. and he was like, How do you know that? And I said, Well I said the same number we all use in the house. Like Well that's so, a stroke of luck because <laughs> yeah. a lot of people wouldn't be sharing it with their mother. Yeah, but it was just like it's a number, it's it's actually we have it's the number that resonates with all of us in the in the family, do you know what I mean? And we all actually use the number for different things. And I just said, try this one. And it goes, oh, God, that works. How do you know what that was? And I just started laughing because, sure, we all use the number. So... Uh, you mentioned so we travel insurance, Julie. Yeah. Travel yeah. So insurance we was, was a futile exercise in this case. Yeah. So initially, then we had to get into the phone and find the email and, you know, get in contact with them then. And, yeah... Sean had taken out travel insurance for a year, you know, you know, he wouldn't go, he'd be fairly careful like that. He like Sean, he, Sean's a real careful lad, you know, he'd have all the, the, uh, the dots and the eyes, the dots, the, the T's crossed mm-hmm. and the eyes dotted, you know, that way, very careful about stuff like that. He had his travel insurance and everything gone with him, but he didn't realise that the travel insurance, you have to keep moving for travel insurance like that. He took out a year's travel insurance, but it, you, it only covers you for church days in one spot. So he was longer than 30 days in New Zealand at that point. So his travel insurance had, had shut down after 30 days. We didn't realise that until we made the phone call. So. And the nature of insurance companies, it's black and white. There's oh, black no, and white, yeah, yeah. Uh, no there, there are no exceptions when it comes to even extenuating circumstances like no, this. No. So no. enter the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. 
Yeah, so then we had like neighbours coming, and like some like neighbours were coming left, right, and centre with us. And two or three of them then came. They had, they had this phone number. Said like, if you if you need anything, I said, oh, well, I'm okay. I'm on travel insurance. They were going to sort it out. Next thing, travel insurance weren't sorting out. So I had this number, and then we we're kind of going, what will we do? And you know, we're kind of you're, you're kind of frustrated and flustered, and you're wondering what to do. So. <laughs> Sorry, I rang the phone number and I got speaking to, Ke- to Colin Bell, Kevin Bell's dad, who runs the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. And he just said he just took the details of the funeral directors that we were dealing with in Tamanuri in New Zealand and our funeral director here. And he said, just leave it with me. And we never had to worry about it again after that. Wow, that's a huge load <laughs> off your mind at a time like that. Amazing, amazing. You know, you have so much going on. And you're wondering, should we go or not? And we made the decision pretty quickly that we weren't going to go. Like, why would we go to be standing around in a place that we don't know, with nobody we know, on our own, when our when our families are here? And at that stage, we can't do anything for Sean. You know, we just want to get Sean home. So we made the decision not to go. Well, the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust has helped countless families over the years. And even in the Midlands last year, there was a lot of tragedy abroad, unfortunately, even in County Leash. Um, Leash father and son brought back yeah. from yeah. Turkey, last as I year. recall. Yeah, I think at least I would... Now, I could be wrong. There's five or six people they brought home to Leash last year alone. <coughs> so, having had a horrible year and tried to process your grief, you've resolved to give back and what's yes. the plan to help the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust in turn help more families? Okay, so uh, we, we've already done a little bit of fundraising here already. We are The first match our, that our GA club held in the season between, uh, between Club Balakala and Rathdown Yard, our local, our neighbour team, they, they raised money on the gate that day and we've already passed that on to Kevin Bell and then my colleagues where I worked raised money as well. So we've already like a bit of money raised for them but from 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 the first day nearly that Sean died, I said like, you know, from the first day that Kevin Bell came on board and got, got involved with us, I said we're going to do something for them and in my head it was always a tractor run because that was what Sean loved. Mm. You know, he loved tractors. So It's true to him. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all about Sean, and it's uh, it's just what he loves. Just from when he was a small lad, it was you know tra- you can imagine small children in cars and his tractors, tractors, and the first word they can say when they see a tractor coming, and that's what he was like. So we got together with some of our neighbours, like our local GA club, our friends and neighbours from Balakala have been and club club Balakala and our board, our parish, they have been amazing. They, it's like they wrapped us in a blanket this day last year and they haven't let go yet. And it's just been amazing. I can hear the gratitude in your voice, Julie. Yeah. yeah. And you know and, who your friends are at times like that. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, people come out of the woodwork and the stories they had about Sean, you know, how he has touched so many people. For a young lad, he's done a lot. He, and because he was in the farming community, he knew so many people. You know, he'd be in and out of people's houses and in and out of people's fields. And 
I just the outpouring of love for him was amazing, and it's still still going on. And can I ask Julie because people may hesitate to share some stories? Do they bring comfort, or are they a source of pain to remind you of what you've lost? Oh, huge comfort. Comfort, good. So yeah, the more the more people who have stories about Sean, the more you want to hear them. Then oh, I just want to hear them all. You know, I want to hear everyone's what everybody saw him like, and God, everybody loves him. He's amazing, young lad. So, the plan for the tractor run—it's going to be a rather long run. Yeah, yeah, they're they're quite well. The boys here that are into tractors, so there's no point in doing it for like half, you know, half an hour. That you wouldn't get a good enough run. So they wanted a decent run, a decent drive. So they wanted to drive about an hour. So I think I think the tractor is about maybe twenty kilometers, and I think the the truck run that we have running alongside it is about sixty. So both of them are going to take. They reckon about an hour to take. So they're leaving Balakali here from about five tomorrow. Trucks are heading off first, and then the tractors are going after them, and then, and then back, back to Balakali and afterwards. So we set up an idle page um, alongside us, so which we have a raffle running from from that, and uh, we've had massive support on that. Like it's, it went over eleven thousand last night, so we're absolutely thrilled with that, and we haven't even seen a tractor yet. So we're really happy with that. So anybody wishing to search, it's Friends of Sean Clear on iDonate. I'm going to just check again now because I'm curious uh, what you're at as of this morning. If it was 11,000 last night, it is, according to this, 11,110 against a target of seven. So you have smashed the target. Yeah, yeah. Should we start off with three, hoping we get three, you know? So it's been amazing. People are amazing. The people that are helping us here, you know, organise us. Friends of Sean's and friends of ours and just like, just amazing. You know, people are great. You've spoke about him so well. And I see a picture of the man himself on that page with a big cheeky smile. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what it was like. Our Shane, his friend who took that photograph said, he was stuck out in the field. He said the machine was after breaking down. He said he was there for a couple of hours. And when he went, when they got to him, he said, that's what he was like. He said, anyone else would be giving out. Your man was smiling back at them when they pulled up. All was smiling. Well, you keep smiling now. Julie, thank you very okay. much for sharing the story with us. OK, thanks a million. Thank you, Will. Julie Martin, the mum of Sean Clare. And again, I donate forward slash, oh, excuse me, I donate dot IE forward slash raffle forward slash friends of Sean Clear. The more money raised, the more goes to the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust who can help others in their hour of need when they've lost a loved one abroad. Disagree? Feel free. Text or WhatsApp Midlands today on 083 103. Midlands 103. Earlier this week, Vinnie from Road highlighted how the road surfaces in his area were in disrepair. And indeed, there are many parts of North County Offaly in particular where there seems to be a pothole problem, where you come just randomly across a crater. And the natural instinct, of course, is to swerve. And if you do so, it could well result in a collision. And to be fair to 
local authorities elsewhere in the Midlands, this very much seems to be an awfully problem and more so in the north of the county on roads that are built across bogs. So we've given Offaly County Council right of reply. They say they're aware and fully acknowledge the challenging road conditions at present. However, they say, given the recent weather, only temporary repairs are feasible in the immediate term. It also says the Department of Transport will announce funding allocations in the coming weeks. And the Edenderry Municipal District has identified a number of schemes around road to address some of the issues highlighted. And once the funding allocations are released, the Municipal District will share the proposed roads programme for road. And again, they don't know the amount of money to be received. That will dictate the number of roads that can be addressed and they say their staff will continue to engage with the local community and elected members on this. So, if you're thinking, hang on, this isn't just a problem around the village of Road, it's a problem in my area too, then you can contact Offaly County Council, but also feel free to send me a text. 083 30 10 103, in fact, better yet, take a photograph and WhatsApp it to me on that number powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Now, still on the agenda today, Childhood Cancer Ireland, a charity that is there when you need them most. And as one parent in Milltown Pass will share their story, it has made a very difficult journey far more comfortable. And the Friday panel takes you through the lighter side of the news as well. And perhaps on a point of optimism, the Midlands has been recognised this week as a European region of the future. And if you're rolling the eyes to heaven and you're thinking, well, what does that mean? That's a lot of BS. The Financial Times, which is a very influential publication, has ranked the Midlands eighth among the small European regions of the future for foreign direct investment. And... For instance, Dr Anne Cusack, who is chair of the Midlands Regional Enterprise Plan, says being listed as one of Europe's best small regions of the future is testament to the hard work and dedication of everybody involved in the Midlands Regional Enterprise Plan. So, look, fine words. Let's see how well it translates into actual money on the ground, shovels in the ground, jobs on the ground over the next couple of years. But glass half empty or glass half full? I always choose the latter. I hope you do too. Love the Midlands. Love. Midlands I was still on the agenda today. Friday panel looks at a week in which we learned that school uniforms may be leading to children getting less extra Dare we mention RTE €150,000 golden former chief financial officer or indeed €1.6 million Euro in golden handshakes to of the executive team. And the air fryers and vegan substitutes that have been added to the Central Statistics Office shopping basket. How they measure inflation changes over the years in some weird and wonderful ways. More on that 
in 15 minutes. When you call, 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Now, in the last hour, a phone call that no parent ever wants to receive, being told that their child has died on the other side of the world. Another message you never want to receive is to be told your child has cancer. And unfortunately, while these examples are rare, they do happen. But the good news is there are organisations there in your hour of need, and one such organisation is Childhood Cancer Ireland. And I want you to meet Fanula Murphy. Morning, Fanula. Hi, Will. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We talked some months ago, but for anybody who missed that conversation, in broad strokes, what do you do? We did, yeah. We chatted last September during Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And actually yesterday was International Childhood Cancer Day. So they're the two kind of um, main points in our calendar throughout the year to create awareness. Childhood Cancer Ireland is a a parent and survivor led charity. It was started by a group of parents just over 10 years ago um, at a time when there really wasn't a lot of talk about children getting cancer, um, you know, about the the, the harsh treatments that children have to go through and what that um, can lead to later in life and about the fact that children sadly pass away from this disease as well. I think that that conversation has shifted over the last 10 years and there is a little bit more awareness. Um, But there's an average of 369 children, adolescents and young adults. So that goes from zero right up to the age of 24. Um, So an average of 369 diagnosed in Ireland every year. So it is um, a rare disease. It doesn't feel like it when you're part of this community, um, but but it is. And thankfully, the survival rates are are increasing in Ireland. Um, so that's that's good. I'll be honest, Fanula, it's something that's very hard to process. In, uh, and in a way, it's a darkness that many people may not want to let into their minds by even thinking about. But for many parents, there's no choice. It's news they're given and they have to get their heads around it and one such mum is Maria Monaghan from Milltown Pass. Maria, you're welcome to the programme. Hi Will, how are you? Very well, thank you. Tell us about little Noah. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, our son Noah was diagnosed with leukaemia last June. Um, he was nine months old and um, we got his initial diagnosis in Mullingar Hospital and then from there we were transferred off to Crumlin. So it escalated very quickly in terms of his treatment and that it moved uh, very quick, um, which I was really surprised about actually how quick it all um, goes. Mm. I always thought it'd be a longer process, but it's actually very quick from when things start. Um, so we spent seven weeks up in Crumlin Hospital um, for his initial treatment, it's, um, his, in, his induction to chemotherapy. And um, yeah, so How did he respond to that? Seven weeks. He took to it really well, like his response in terms of leukemia was actually very good um, but obviously it did knock him and um, he was unwell and he was quite sick and that you know very tired and things like that went off his food um, but yeah no he but was it, it did boy. what it was hoped to do it did, yeah it did yeah it did it, it, it's working for Noah thank god so uh, yeah so we spent the seven weeks up there he had his initial blast of treatment and uh, we got discharged then and um we learned then about the shared facility with Mullingar Hospital. So what that means is that um, for different appointments, we can attend Mullingar 
hospital rather than having to go to Crumlin. So for things like um, Noah has an NG feeding tube for his medications, um, so that has to be changed quite regular. So we can go to Mullingar for that, for bloods. Um, he has a Hickman in his chest. Um, so when Noah gets bloods taken, they're taken from this inbuilt um, pick line in his chest. So rather than having to go and draw blood um, from his arms, it's, it's, it's pain free for Noah. He doesn't even really realise it's happening. So it's great. So we can go to Mullingar for that. Um, and blood transfusions as well. We can all go to Monagar. So with the support of Childhood Cancer Ireland, there's an isolation room in Monagar Hospital. So we can go there with Noah. We just pick up the phone, let the, the nurses know what we need done for Noah. And 90% of the time that room is available mm. for us. Which makes um, it easier to juggle everything else on your plate, not having a- to travel absolutely. so far. Because you still absolutely. have a, an older child as well, Corey, who... Naturally Corey, wants his yeah. attention too. Exactly, yeah. So, like, Corey is only two and a half as well. There's very little between the two boys. So, um, even for things like getting childcare minded, if, if we're up and down to Crumlin regularly, it's a lot harder to get Corey minded. So, you know, like, families are, are amazing help, but everyone has their own bits to do. So, if we can just tip in and out to Mullingar for these things, which are much quicker, it's um, so beneficial to us as a family um, and a massive support as well. And Fanula, how was Childhood Cancer Ireland able to put that facility in place? All of our um, work, I suppose, is possible because of community fundraising um, and some corporate fundraising as well. <clears throat> Excuse me, but it's really down to, you know, all of those uh, people who run marathons, organise coffee mornings, mm. all kinds of individual small things that all add up to a really significant um, contribution. And that's how we're able to do it. We don't receive any government funding. Um, and the the room that um, Maria is talking about, it's, you know, as she explained, um, every child will attend Crumlin. And then after that, if they live outside of Dublin, they'll attend what's called their shared care or their regional hospital. Um, so it's nice to be able to create uh, a suitable environment for a child or a young person. Um, so we make sure that there's nice, colourful vinyl wall art. There's um, TVs, DVD players, uh, gaming stations, as well as all the equipment, um, uh, you know, sometimes providing electric beds and wall mounted monitors and things like that. So it just makes the facilities far more comfortable um, for the family and much more sort of colourful and um, entertaining for a child as well. So And that attention to detail matters so much to try and make yeah. the experience as comfortable as possible, what is inherently a deeply uncomfortable place to be. I want to bring into the conversation Paul Cullen from the Tullamore Lions Club because they're just one of the organisations supporting. And what are you planning this weekend, Paul? Good morning. Good, mo- good morning, Will. Yes, the Lions Club is a global organisation. We have over a million volunteers, one of the biggest globalisation volunteer organisations out there. Childhood cancer is one of our global causes. And last year, the Irish Lions teamed up with Childhood Cancer Ireland to see what could we do to support them in any way, both in terms of raising awareness and raising funds. Here in Tullamore, the Tullamore Lions Club have decided on a coffee morning tomorrow morning in the Bridge House. So downstairs in the Bridge House, uh, we'll, we'll have fundraising, we'll have, we'll have pins and things like that, but really encourage the, peop- the, the community to come upstairs to Jenny's Kitchen upstairs mm. where we'll have a coffee morning. Bridge Centre? In the Bridge Centre in Tullamore, yes. yes. 
Um, so upstairs in Jenny's, and we'll have a video running there to find out a lot more information about what childhood cancer do and, and how this fantastic organisation is so meaningful for the parents out there of the kids with cancer. So it's a chance to sit down, sip your coffee, have a chat, but in the same uh, at the same time, support a great cause. Yes, that's it in a nutshell. And what will that help you to do, uh, Fanula? Like what's next on the agenda for your charity? Well, Mullingar was one of the um, first shared care rooms that we did. So we're continuing to work on that programme right around the country. We'll be looking at Port Leash this year, which um, will impact some some of your listeners as well. Um, and another programme that we have, I think Maria captured it quite well there when she said how quickly everything moves. Um, when your child is diagnosed, you are just thrown into this world with no time to plan or think ahead, really. And what we find when parents come out the other side, when their child has finished treatment, um, is that that's sometimes the first chance they've had to take a breath and think about, oh, my goodness, what has actually happened to our family? And it's just at that stage when to the outside world, it looks like everything has gone back to normal for you. And everyone's saying, isn't it amazing? And it is amazing. But parents can really struggle at that stage. So we have a series of parent workshops happening around the country this year as well. Um, And they are facilitated by a clinical psychologist and a play therapist and a parent just to help parents to, I suppose, get parents will report sometimes feeling stuck in that high alert mode. So to, to try and help them move on really from everything that's happened over what can often be a few years um, so they're happening around the country. People can find out about those on our website. Um, and one other program that we have is a Beads of Courage, which is an international uh, program that we brought to Ireland. And children will receive a bead for each part of their treatment. Every um, every blood transfusion, every test that they have to have, every overnight stay. So they end up with this long string of beads that helps them to tell their story of what they've been through. When it's when it's all over. Lovely, lovely symbolism in that. Maria, a lot of people from Milltown Pass and beyond calling to wish you well and they're just wondering how is Noah doing now? Um he's doing really well. Um so he finished his what we call hard chemotherapy on the thirty first of January. So um he is going to hopefully start maintenance chemo next week. And just um it just depends on his blood levels. Obviously, his blood levels take a knock from all the chemo, so they just need to regroup and build back up. And um, yeah, so hopefully next week we'll start maintenance chemo, which is a lot less invasive and hopefully a lot more um, just chemotherapy that we can give at home orally. So it'll be uh, less less trips to the hospitals and um, yeah, just a bit more normality. So, but other than that, no, he's doing really well. He's a very tough little boy, and uh, kids are so resilient; like they just they're amazing. So, um, yeah. Well, we're crossing fingers and toes for you. Yeah, Lots of people wishing you you well. So, once again, tomorrow, Jenny's Kitchen, which is upstairs in the Bridge Shopping Centre in Tullamore, 10am to 2pm. Just drink some coffee and you will be supporting a great cause. And indeed, if you want to get involved with the Lions Club, Paul, best way to do so? Just contact any Lions member or look at us on the internet. Fantastic. Paul Cullen, Maria Monaghan and Fanula Murphy, thank you all very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Will. And indeed, look up Childhood Cancer Ireland if you need some support. They are there 
at the end of the phone. Midlands Today's Friday panel. With thanks to the caring hands of Comfort Keepers Home Care. Nurturing thoughts, caring moments. Comfortkeepers.ie Let's meet our Friday panel and today we say good morning to Maria Jackson from Irish Rural Link. Which is based in Moat, of course. It is indeed. Morning How well. are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm also representing the National Meals on Wheels Network, which is under the umbrella of Irish Whirling. So I just wanted to get that in. Many, many hats. Absolutely. Joe Wynn is here, a man of many talents too. Driving school extraordinaire, singer and legal eagle in training. Thank you very much. Quite the introduction. Yes, and that's what the 50 euro note was for, I assume. <laughs> that's ideal. Yeah, that's yeah. ideal. And Anne Clark is here from the Awfully Domestic Violence Support Service. Good morning. Good morning, Will. And yeah, you've... it's very hard to follow that introduction, isn't it? <laughs> well, given the gravity of what you do and the number of people you help, I think that speaks volumes in itself. Thank you, Will. And, of course, you have a big event coming up for International Women's Day, which we shall mention in a few minutes. Okay. Could we start with a story from Monday, covered in the Irish Examiner, and it concerned the number of patients who unfortunately had passed away by the time an ambulance had reached their home. And in figures released to Into TD Padre Tobin, that number had increased 70% over the last eight years. But there may be a little glimmer of hope, some light at the end of the tunnel. Can you fill us in? Yes, indeed. Maria here again um, from the National Meals and Wheels Network. Just in relation to um, those numbers and the um, newspaper um, articles. So the National Ambulance Service has opened its clinical hub. Um, There is one based in Dublin. And what that clinical hub is doing is actually a secondary triage over the phone. So what happens is in there, the team take the phone calls over the phone from the 999 and then the um, operator on the telephone is getting the details. They're inputting it into the system. And then there's a secondary clinician Mm. who is actually taking the information and deciding as to so triaging that call. So it's as to whether it's an emergency call for an ambulance or as to whether the person should be referred to their GP or maybe it could be even something simple like, you know, attending their dentist. Right. So they're trying to prioritise. They're exactly doing that is prioritising because I suppose on a daily basis they're dealing with over a thousand calls per day. So it's a huge amount of um, calls that they're dealing with and trying to. So they've preempted that by setting up this clinical hub. So that's one of the, the, the things that they're doing to alleviate, I suppose, yeah. and to try and improve. It'll um, improve, exactly. It's Absolutely. not going to solve yep. the problem because it's complicated, as we heard on Monday, that mm-hmm. you've got obviously a domino effect if the hospitals mm-hmm. are, and in particular the emergency departments, are full, then it's hard to get that patient who's arrived in the ambulance off the trolley into a bed so that ambulance mm-hmm. is discharged and can go back out on the road and you end up with a log jam scenario. Fingers crossed, none of us have to call Absolutely. an ambulance, I suppose. Well, I know um, in the past I've had to call an ambulance on a number of occasions for my daughter. Oh. And I've al- always found they've been extremely quick, very, very thorough in what they do and very encouraging to, you know, if something happens to not to be afraid to call them um, because um, 
you know, they, they're able to triage you then to see, do you need to go to hospital? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at source, so to speak. And they've always been extremely professional and really, really good. I can't say I've ever had a negative experience with the ambulance service. They've been excellent. Mm-hmm. They work really hard under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I've always been very grateful for their service. I think the experience of listeners has been a little bit of a lottery. So some have been like yeah. you. And I have mm. to recognise as well that my dad fell, broke his hip uh, three years ago. They were out very, very quickly. But it was two o'clock in the morning as well uh, on a weeknight. So maybe it wasn't the busiest time for them. But we've heard in Port Leash, for instance, when a player broke his leg on the football pitch. And I think it was only a teenager, actually, a teenage player. It was nearly two hours and eventually the match officials relented and said, we're going to bring you to the hospital ourselves. Mm. Now, granted, it was a broken leg. It wasn't maybe a a heart attack or a stroke or an imminent threat to life. But still, I think people have very mixed experiences. I don't think it's any it's any reflection on the staff. We all wholeheartedly agree the staff are amazing. (coughs) They're incredible. They are overworked. They are phenomenal people. And we've seen sadly and thankfully we've seen them in action in first hand exactly like you've said I was doing a driving lesson about six or eight months ago in the summer and a gentleman missed a step down by a national school head first onto the road Ouch. Uh, an, elderly, an elderly gentleman got out there was two or three around us there was a nurse who was off duty was there we rang an ambulance the ambulance couldn't get there and they couldn't give us a time. And again, this is no reflection on the staff and how busy they are. Mm. So what ended up happening was when his wife arrived, we got in contact with his wife. He simply just missed a step, but fell head first. And he had to go to A&E. He'd broken a couple of teeth and possibly his nose and, and uh, a jaw. So I ended up driving his wife in her car with her, with him in the back seat of the car to the A&E because we could, they couldn't determine how long or short it would be. In Australia, they have a system for ambulances. I think you pay 20 cent a week in your wages. And it goes, It's they call it the AMBO service in Australia. But that is that if you ever call an ambulance or you ever need an ambulance, you pay no fee. But you pay in it's 20 cent per mm. That's 20 cent a week. It's minimal. It's not even a dot. It's not a, a euro. Or it's twenty cent a week, and that's used to fund the ambulance service directly and solely. And remember, those ring fence taxation ring fence in effect. Taxation, mm. Yeah, but also remember the national paramedics. The national paramedics are all trained here in Tullamore. Uh, it's a phenomenal service we have in the Midlands, and uh, they're they're out in the Access Business Park and others. But they, they, it's no reflection on the staff, and nobody will have a bad word said about them. They're phenomenal people. I'm sure, if anything, it's very dispiriting for Mm. them not to be able to get there in time. That must be heart-wrenching, thinking of only five minutes more or whatever the the window might be. You're on the road a lot, and you're mainly based in County Offaly. We had a call this week from Vinnie Grennan in Road, Mm. and we were talking about this earlier, in fact, where the surface of the roads is in rag order. And it's not just that part of the Midlands. There are others as well where craters have emerged. And it seems to be almost later and later in the year that the council get around to filling them in. There's a certain acceptance of wear and tear, freezing and thawing over the winter months. 
Is that a fair observation that it seems to be worse than it has been in previous years? For, I, What's your read of it? My read of it is, to be, to be fair to, to governments, and I'm talking about all parties, all, all political organisations, to be fair to everybody, our roads have improved massively. They have improved massively. There are obviously going to be potholes and there's obviously going to be areas, black spots where things are... The council... My biggest gripe, and I'm a driving instructor on the busiest test centre in the Midlands, where they drive and test everything from motorbikes to Arctic trucks. My biggest gripe is road markings. If you leave the driving test centre in Tullamore, 10 yards from the driving test centre on a main road, there is no road markings for... And I, I'm sorry to be rude, but the children doing their driving test. Mm. And there are no road markings 10 yards from a driving test on a main road going to a main junction. And if you drive through Tullamore, you will see where there are no road markings or road markings have faded. Simple things that would help people if they... Obviously, potholes are an issue and they need to be dealt with. But road markings. So any councillors out there, anyone from Offaly County Council or others, I would love to chat with them for five minutes and just highlight some places that they need to put road markings outside of the driving test centre in Tullamore. First place. Can of white paint put the road markings down it will help because you you know from when testers give reports back after a test if it's successful with the best will in the world they're not too worried about what he said they've got their license but if they don't make it this time and they have to retake their test you'll always see position turning right position turning left road markings might be down as a mark on your driving test where the road isn't clearly marked and a student doesn't take the line that the tester wants him to take simple solution would be road markings, get the roads in the towns marked, particularly in a town where we have one of the busiest test centres. We have three driving testers doing at least 30 tests per day, five days a week, 150 driving tests a week done in Tullamore. Mm. A simple solution to that. And there's a huge focus on road safety at the moment and markings are obviously an essential component of that. Now, Anne, you would travel from the west of Offaly uh, to work in Tullamore. What are the roads like where you live? Yeah, I would agree. There's no ro- ro- very little road markings from Banner to Burr. Absolutely, I don't. I actually don't think there is any. Uh, just as you get into Burr, you might have a few. Uh, you know, I I think about the. They want us to have our cars in good conditions. I always think of this argument. You know, the NCT. You're obliged to make sure you have your NCT cert, and yet the road conditions are appalling. And so we're driving on these roads, the conditions, I've, I always see the roads like a patchwork quilt. There's patches done. There's never a, 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 a true road where you're running smoothly. There's different conditions. You might get a smooth road, then it's patchwork, then like you say, no road ro- markings. But actually I was driving from, I told around the country because I was driving the N17 recently and from Galway to Tune. And I, my mother listened to him and I, and I said, came back and I said, that N17 is shocking. It is absolutely one of the worst roads I've ever been on in regards to road surfacing. And that road is a true road coming from Sligo all the way to Galway because not everybody uses the motorway because mm. it's kind of out of the way. It's not as direct as the N17 and it's absolutely shocking. So I think it's a problem for every county, not just Offaly. Well, we had listeners who were saying, and this was in the context of road, driving towards Rockford Bridge and moving over the county boundary between Offaly and Westmeath, that it was like night and day. 
Yeah. You're based in Moat in Irish rural link and last time I was in Moat the roads were fairly decent. What's your the sense of it? The roads are fairly decent. However, I personally live in Dublin and do a lot of work from home. Mm. And I like yourself and I travel quite a lot of the country. However, we do a lot of travel. We have friends. Hi to uh, Anne and Pat and Brackna. So we'd visit Brackna quite a lot. And again, this time we were there on Wednesday. It's the choice of using my car as opposed to my husband's car because his is lower on the ground travelling the roads into Bracknell and it didn't matter what road we took because we took a different road out and then it's the potholes on the road and it's the unmarking of the road edges we came across a truck on the way and we had to stop the car because the truck wasn't able to go near the, the verge because the road wasn't marked and it's the potholes that you're in fear of so they are particularly bad, especially on the roads in and out of Bracknell. But you're right, the roads to Moat aren't that bad. On our Friday panel, Maria Jackson of Irish Rural Link and indeed Meals on Wheels, Anne Clark of Offaly Domestic Violence Support Service and Joe Wynn of Wynn's School of Motoring. The Friday panel on Midlands Today with Comfort Keepers. Uplifting home care throughout the Midlands and nationwide. Comfortkeepers.ie we're still talking about potholes off air here, <laughs> giving out and giving out and giving out. And Sylvia has sent a message. She lives in the Ballycumber area. And if she was to take a photograph of all the potholes, she'd be a very busy girl, she says. The roads are a disgrace between muck and potholes. Well, I suppose it's hard to blame the councils for the muck, but certainly the potholes. Cecilia travelled the Crohan Road from Tyrrell's Pass to Dangan yesterday and feels very strongly it needs to be closed. It is that bad. There are parts of it that would bring you off the roads into the ditch. That is how uh, deplorable the surface is, she says. Anyway, that's a sample of what we have received on the matter of um, potholes. The Consumer Price Index, you know how we measure inflation in this country. And there are 51,000 different items in the basket of statistics the CSO examines. So they have refreshed the list and they've taken out nightclub admission. They've taken out landlines and into the basket to replace them, the vegan substitutes for milk, for instance. Um, also, air fryers. They're uh, here today, gone tomorrow, or are, are they maybe more than a fad? Can you see air fryers still being all the rage in five years' time? Absolutely. You live by your air fryer? I live by my air fryer. And reasoning being is it's myself and my husband um, on the main using the air fryer, which means you don't have to put on the big oven. If you're doing two chicken fillets or if you're doing, you know, and you're having mash, your mash is on the, the hob in your pot, absolutely air fryer all the way. And there's so many recipe ideas Absolutely. online. TikTok is great for those <laughs> sure recipe is. ideas. Absolutely. Sure is. Gone as well, the digital camera. I suppose that makes sense. I mean, everybody's carrying a digital camera mm-hmm. with their phone. Yeah. <clears throat> MP4 players. Photo printing. Yeah, I suppose these are the things we haven't used in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I actually think photo printing might make a reemergence. I think because you know we talk, you, you're taking all these photographs off your phone. How many of us actually do anything with the with your photo? And so a lot of the time, people are, you know, 
I think there's, I think they might come back because some people are now printing off their photographs, doing nice memory books and things like mm. that, you know. So I think they may, may make a return. And I, I do think with the, the newer updated phones, there's quite a lot of um, photo collage. Yeah. You know, my phone certainly if you take different sports of photographs or you're taking quite a lot of photographs at an event, it will send you a collated amount of these pictures. And I just forward them on to whoever is in that group. Mm. Um, so, yes, I like pictures. I have lots of photos all around my house. And from time to time, I do. We have a printer at home that does actually accept the quality to produce printed photographs. So that's what yeah. we do at home. The yeah. digital photo frame hasn't become as popular as no. you might have expected. No. It's not the same. Well, you can do that with your Alexa. You know, <coughs> you, the Alexa can link with your, your, your album on your phone and play your photographs mm-hmm. as their, the background image. I've seen as well, we did this for Dad because he has dementia and we printed, in effect, a jigsaw from a picture, a family picture, so it can be assembled. So there are many things you could do yeah. with photographs. And uh, yeah, well, in that case, maybe they should go back in. Into they might the... make a return. Watch this space. Does anybody want to talk about RTE and the €450,000 <laughs> golden handshake received by the chief financial officer, the former chief financial officer, in a business case that, oddly enough, she prepared and made the argument that her cost would be recovered, that she would be replaced internally by a named individual. There would be a saving. And guess what? The saving didn't materialise. Apparently, there's also a tax liability, not to her, but to RTE. Um, And again, it makes you wonder about due process. Her Settlement was not signed off on by the RTE board. It was D Forbes, the then director general, seemed to have skipped much of the procedure. The HR manager, who granted was only a wet week in the job at the time, she told the Oireachtas Committee on Media this week that she didn't question, that her boss told her to approve it. And when your boss tells you to approve it, would you have some sympathy for her position, Joe? I think that's the biggest problem with all of this. Nobody questioned. Nobody dare question. I think there was a culture of fear. Mm-hmm. The ruler, the, I say the rulers, the directors, the board of directors, the people who were effectively there to run RTE on our behalf, because remember, it's taxpayers' money in the main, and they are seeking a bailout now from taxpayers, who ran it as a personal fund for themselves. The more we read about it, it's got to the point people are fed up listening about what they have been carrying on. What galls me is they hadn't the decency or the respect or the manners to attend an Oireachtas committee and answer questions about what they did with our money. And for them to turn around and sign off on €450,000 for somebody who was resigning is appalling. I think the carry-on of the board, I think they should complete... I think the the public have lost complete faith in it. You see from the, the returns on the the, uh, the licence fee, there should be a brand new licence fee system. And I believe that every media organisation, every radio station, local ra- radio station, all these, should be getting a fairer share of it. 
I believe it's it has been used as a power tool with government. If we don't get this, you won't like what we publish. I f- I'm really, really fed up reading about all the boxes in Crow Park, boxes in the Aviva Stadium, trips to the World Cup, trips to this, trips to that. It's galling. Every we just we're at a point where people cannot afford housing. We're at a point where my generation and younger, and you go to rural town, rural, rural county awfully Leash, Westmeath, and you will see young people in their droves leaving. And we look at this on our news report that they were acting in this manner. It's galling. If it was a charitable organisation, they would have to have a board of directors who is the governance of that organisation, who have ultimate responsibility for how that organisation acts. Okay, And we have to, as a charitable organisation, abide by the rules set out by the Charities Regulatory Authority. And here we have RTE's board. But in fairness, was the information brought to them? The same with any other charitable organisation. The board of directors can only act on the information that is provided to them. But again, charitable organisations... Yeah, but I think that if we look... I I did a lot of research on this because I'm kind of... We were studying as part of an MBA, which we're doing board governance. And, you know, RTE had to uh, kind of match the UK governance code because that was the governance code for commercial organisations. And, you know, I studied their annual report. And one of the big things about RTE and the annual report, and if you are in compliance with the UK governance code, uh, which was adopted by many organisations in Ireland, uh, is that you had to have a financial uh, director on there with that had actual financial experience, like a mm-hmm. top accountant? No, that didn't exist in RTE. Uh, the level of experience that should have been at that board wasn't at that board, and I don't believe myself personally that we didn't know is is a defence. Yeah. Part of your role as a board member, because I, you know, have been on boards myself, is to ask questions is to investigate, is to look at things that appear uh, a little bit kind of suspect, is to query situations of payments. So, uh, you know, as an executive board saying they didn't know, that's not enough. You have to ask questions. And when I look at actually watching uh, Mr. Banks takes takes on the post office and the horrendous uh, um, situation and trauma people experience with that, it actually made me think about the various people that have been imprisoned for non-payment of TV licenses, mm. people who genuinely couldn't afford to pay that TV license. You know, we've seen women in, in their late 60s who had no money being put into prison for 10 days. And I actually thought this is actually very similar to that, Mr. Banks in the post office, because you had ordinary day people doing prison term, getting criminal convictions mm. for non-payment of €160 euro, when you had top executives now receiving huge amounts of money, expenditures, 50-something thousand for flip-flops. Mm-hmm. I mean, the misappropriation of money in RT was, is absolutely shocking. But and for lead executives not to come in and testify to the Public um, Finance Committee is, is disgraceful. I have a theory on that. So an Oireachtas committee can embarrass them, ultimately give them questions and so on, but the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement may well be watching in the background. Mm. That could lead to a far more serious outcome and perhaps they <clears> don't <throat> want to go before an Oireachtas committee and say something that is then used against them legally. 
that may be why they're holding back. 100%. I'm not not excusing it. No, I'm just saying I agree. And I think that, like, if I look at our organisation, Offaly Domestic Violence, governance is very important to us. And, you know, we, we have huge transparency, huge accountability, board training. You know, you know, it's not enough for me just to deliver my report to a board. They question what's happening. I, you know, there's there's safety nets put in there. We have sub subcommittees to look after the whole picture that report into the board. And governance is extremely important so that you get the trust of the the general public because we have public money, we have donations. So we make sure that all of that is done correctly. I mean, there isn't a teabag we buy our own, you know what I mean? That mm. you can't do anything as without, it should be as well. As it should mm. be, and w- yeah. that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is good governance, and that is missing in spades in RTE. And I think we've only had. I think it's the iceberg. It I is. think we're only seeing the little tip of that iceberg of what misappropriation of funds have happened. And I think there's a whole other underbelly that we don't know anything about. And we're getting it. Isn't it very interesting though? These scandals, you're drip fed different things every so often. And your drip because you forget about the last part. Mm. You forget about the flip flops and the rugby tickets and the, but, but also for know. for the staff in RTE. Yeah. It's not everybody's on the top ten earners. It's the ordinary member of staff in RTE who is there when they go home or they go out for a meal or they go for drinks with their friends, where do you work? RTE. I'm sure they're getting it in the neck. Absolutely. And they're as innocent as can be. Mm. But I just think it's wrong. I don't accept the idea that if they didn't know about it, they're guilty. Absolutely. And if they did know about it and they allowed it to happen, there's their guilt. And in the Companies Act, as you rightly said, uh, uh, I think it's Section 205, if you're not acting within the best interests of the company or organisation that you're working for, you can be held liable for your actions. Signing off on 450,000 for somebody who's resigning not questioning it. I mean, 2.6 million given out under the reign of D Forbes. This is ridiculous. They lost. Not, not to mention the settlement agreements should have contained a provision where the people receiving the funds were responsible for the tax liability. That seems to have been missing. And yeah. so it's now RTE and that'll be the taxpayer ultimately yeah. who has to make that up yeah. as well. Need to take a pause for the cause. On the Friday panel today, Joe Wynn of Wynn's School of Motoring, Anne Clark of Offaly Domestic Violence Support Service and Maria Jackson of Irish Rural Link and Meals on Wheels. Midlands Today's Friday panel. Thanks to Comfort Keepers Home Care. A caring voice and a daily dose of joy. Comfortkeepers.ie just before we move on from the RTE story, Anne Clark made a fascinating point here a moment ago. €450,000 was the size of the severance payment to the former chief financial officer in that organisation. €450,000 is also the size of your budget on which you run a domestic violence service for a full year. Yeah, we would have, like, re- yeah, we would have received just under... 400,000 to run the domestic violence service for 2023. Wow. And that's running, you know, services for um, court accompaniment, one-to-one support, helpline, support groups. We have our ethnic minority <coughs> project. We have a whole new children's service now, equine therapy, one-to-one groups, therapy support. 
Uh, we do outreach around the whole county and then we've safe houses that we brought on stream all for that budget for one person's pay packet. Well, that puts an exclamation point on the story, I think. You could say it would drive you to drink, but actually it doesn't drive you to the nightclub anymore because, as we mentioned, the Consumer Price Index no longer counts nightclub admission. And, Joe, how many nightclubs can you think of that no longer exist? Quite a few. Quite a few. Um, there's no nightclub now in Offaly. The, the nightclub, the last remaining nightclub in Offaly opens very selectively uh, on certain nights. I'm trying to think. Melba's. Is Melba's not on the go? Melba's on the go, yeah. Is it on the go? Yeah. We have one. In Burr. Yeah. In Burr. Brilliant. Um, nightclubs There's are... There's a place in Eden just It's on a laneway. Late bars and, and that are, it's more are, of a late are bar, taking yeah. over. Mm. Uh, the, the, the culture is changing. We were just talking about people going out now are going for pre-drinks. Pre? Pre's at home? Prinks. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Prinks. Pre-drinks and then they go out, uh, they go to the late bars and that. But the nightclub scene is, is I think there's some, uh, the latest statistic is there's 50 nightclubs left in Ireland from hundreds, maybe two decades ago. But the nightclub is, is a thing that seems to be a thing of the past. It's a late bar and that's that's where it's going. We are in this room are all of reasonably similar age, you know, 21 plus a little bit of that. And would have gone to nightclubs Absolutely. quite a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. CPs was my haunt in, in Galway. It was an amazing nightclub. Great fun. So oh. what has taken over? If you're 21 now, what do you do? I, well, think, I think it's the late bars. I think a lot of it is meeting together beforehand, having the pre-drinks, mm-hmm. so the prinks in each other's homes. They take turns with that. That's my experience of that age group. And then they head out to yeah. the late bars. Mm-hmm. So they have already had quite a lot of their, their drink at home that they would have purchased supermarkets or whatever. It's a bit cheaper than, and it's the cost of the alcohol when they're out. You know, and especially if they had had to pay into a nightclub. So you're taking in that whole complexity of what is the cost of a night out now? Mm. So they're minimizing that cost by drinking at home. So it's not just that we got old then. We're we're denying that. I I support that. Absolutely. (laughs) Quick mention before we head for the hills. So. The International Women's Day annual celebration is coming up in the not-too-distant future and Offaly Domestic Violence Service has a big plan. Yes, like every year, I think we're in our 15th year now with International Women's Day brunch and it's Friday the 8th of March in the Bridge House Hotel. Uh, We normally do it at lunchtime, 12.45 to 2, so people on lunch can, can attend. It's free, it's a free event and we're excited to have Stephanie Maher. She is... uh, known on Instagram as the Sober Colourist. She's an influencer. She won uh, Image Colourist of the Year this year. So she's um, uh, amazing. Uh, Minister Pippa Hackett is going to join us. Um, Pippa has always been a guest. So we kind of felt we, 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 we'd we invite her in. And then we have writer Lucy Alexa Dube and she's from Athlone. Mm. And uh, she's she does amazing work and has written, she's writing four books, one for each of her children, and um, so she'll be there on the day. So, yeah, so it's, if you are looking to come in, uh, call us on 05793 51796 
or you can email us info at odvss.ie just to register your place because the places are limited um, so they go really really quickly so if you do want it um, 0579351796 and quick reference on Meals on Wheels so the Meals on Wheels network which is hosted by the Irish Rural Link supports 308 Meals on Wheels providers nationwide and the National Meals on Wheels Network have a website, so it's www.mealsonwheelsnetwork.ie with an interactive map supporting and showing each provider across the country. So if you're in an area that you'd like to avail of Meals on Wheels, if you go to that website and click on the map, it will bring you to your local Meals on Wheels provider. I also want to, while I'm here, do a shout out. In the Port Leash area, we're aware that there's a gap in provision and we're looking for volunteers in that area to deliver meals. So the Meals and Wheels Network, again, can be okay. contacted through that website. What sort of commitment do you need? One hour a week. That's it? That's it. One hour a week. And if you can't drive, Joe Wynn will teach you how to do it. <laughs> and if you're, if you're getting married and you want a wedding singer, I'm more than happy to sing you up, uh, up the island, down the island. All that goes with it. Excellent. Guys, thank you very much for thank your time. Thank you. Maria Jackson of Irish Rural Link and Meals on Wheels and Clark of odvss.ie and Joe Wynn of Wynn School of Motoring. Sinead Hubble did all the hard work, the gremlins sabotaged the phone system and once we kick them out, we'll be back Monday morning from nine. Bye-bye. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student's Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.